Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the latest episode of the Going Long Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Neal. As I said last week, we are officially turning the page over to the basketball season now where we can focus on an incredibly entertaining Oregon Ducks team under Dane Allman. I'm uh, I'm not sure that I would have said that or expected to say that before the season started, but this is a team that's currently at the top of the standings in the Pac-12 undefeated in Pac-12 play, led by a trio of very thrilling freshmen on the team. To do all of that, I'm going to bring on my good friend Andy Patton, a former writer at Ducks Wire, now a writer at College Sports Wire, and the host of the Locked On College Basketball and Locked On Zags podcast. We're going to talk all about the Ducks and also talk about the Pac-12 as a whole as we get into the heart of the season. I've also got a couple of quick football notes up top. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get into it. All right, before we get to Andy, I just want to um, get a couple of quick football notes off. Obviously, I can't go an episode without talking about football in some sort of fashion, So, um, but I'm going to keep this brief because we got some really, really good stuff with Andy, so I want to let that dominate most of the episode. But um, just some updates on the football side of things. Um, there have been several players to announce their return um, to Oregon for the 2024 season instead of going to the NFL um, Jeffrey Bassa, Terrence Ferguson, Justin Jacobs, Johnny Cornelius, Tez Johnson, Trishon Holden, and Noah Whittington. Um, those guys all had the opportunity. Basically, everyone who had an option to go to the NFL or return where it actually made sense, you know, obviously Troy and um, Jackson Powers Johnson, they were going to go to the NFL. But anyone else who had a decision, a real decision to make about NFL or Eugene for one more year, most of them ended up choosing uh, to come back under Dan Lanning. I think that that's just such a massive, massive win for the Ducks, and it really speaks to the culture of this team and the fact that they, you know, they're holding off on the on the NFL, choosing to go one more go around with the Ducks. Um, I'm sure NIL played a factor. I'm sure that they're. Um, getting paid well to stay for another year and put off those NFL dreams. But um, you just, you're really happy to see that as an Oregon fan and happy that such a, a big core of your previous team is coming back for one more year. I think the Ducks, um, the roster is shaping up incredibly well so far. Um, there are a couple of names to keep an eye on in the transfer portal. Oregon did get a commitment earlier today. I'm recording this on Monday afternoon. They got a commitment from UTSA cornerback Cam Alexander, a six-year senior, a very veteran player. Um, this guy's really good. He was rated, um, according to Pro Football Focus, rated as the number 31 cornerback in the nation, um, coverage cornerback in the nation. Um Last year, that's with a minimum of 300 snaps, I believe. Uh, He was the MVP of the UTSA bowl game this past year. Really, really talented player. I think he's going to come in right away and, um, you know, compete for that starting job next to Julio Florence as one of the cornerbacks. Uh, Also, Oregon hosted Texas A&M wide receiver Evan Stewart. Uh, Over the weekend, he was in Eugene on an official visit. According to recent reporting from On3's Pete Nakos, um, you know, it shows that the Ducks are probably considered the favorites to land him right now. Uh, that'd be really massive. I mean, Evan Stewart is the number two overall player in the transfer portal right now. He was the former number six overall player in the 2021 class. 
there are a bit of character concerns. Um, there's been some stuff that's popped up in his career so far. I, I honestly don't know too many of the details, um, but you know, that's someone that if, if landing and his coaching staff take him on and they feel comfortable bringing him into the locker room, I think at this point we have no reason not to trust them and trust that they, you know, they know what they're doing and they think he can help their team. So um, that's the name to watch. Um, obviously there's also Liberty wide receiver, CJ Daniels. He is expected to visit um, this coming week in the next few days. He's someone who Oregon played obviously in the bowl game, had a really good season for Liberty this past year. So I don't think you take both Stewart and Daniels, but those are two names to at least, uh, you know, kind of just keep an eye on over the next few days. We will keep you posted on those guys going forward, but today we are focused on basketball. With that being said, let's bring in Andy. All right, we've got my good friend Andy Patton on here, one of the hardest working men in our business, the host of the Locked On Zags podcast, Locked On College Basketball, writer at College Sports Wire on USA Today Network. Andy, thanks for joining me today. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, man, Zach. Thanks for having me on. appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So as you know, this is the time of the year where casuals like myself start to shift focus mm-hmm. towards basketball. Um, you are anything but a casual. You follow the sport 365 days a year. Um, so you're exactly the man that I want to talk to. Ultimately, I want to talk about Dana Altman and the Ducks. But just to start us off, give me a quick overview of the college basketball season so far. Um, for someone who's paid zero attention to the sport outside of Eugene, what's happening so far? What's going on? What are some of the biggest storylines to know of so far this year? Well, I think the the, the big storyline has been Purdue, a uh, team that obviously last year lost to a 16 seed, second ever team uh, in college basketball history to do that. And the last team to do that was Virginia, and they went ahead and won the national championship the next year. And uh, it's, it's too early to know, but Purdue sure looks like the best team in college basketball right now. They got Zach Eady back. He's uh, at this point, basically locked to be the national player of the year for the second year in a row. Uh, really fantastic club out there. Uh, for for West Coast folks, Arizona has looked fantastic. They had a little blip uh, and an 18-point loss to Stanford, which was pretty surprising. But when this team is on, they are, in my opinion, the best team in college basketball right up there with Purdue. Uh, they absolutely obliterated Colorado in their first game after that loss to Stanford. So Arizona is definitely a team. Uh, with a ton of talent on it, a team that I think is going to be really dangerous when they get into the NCAA tournament. Uh, Big East has been a fantastic conference, as they often are. Uh, we've seen some teams lose uh, to teams we weren't expecting in the Big East. Uh, Seton Hall's picked up a couple big wins over Marquette and Creighton. Uh, excuse me, Marquette and UConn. Uh, UConn, of course, the defending national champions. They're still a top five team in the country. It's been a it's been a really fun, exciting college basketball season. Some teams. Uh, playing at levels we weren't expecting them to do in a good way. Uh, Some teams on the opposite, USC and UCLA in particular, two teams that uh, had a lot of preseason expectations that have not met those expectations at all. Uh, Oregon, of course, uh, helped uh, to contribute to that by beating both those programs, but certainly a a surprising start for both those Southern California teams as well. Yeah, we will definitely be talking about those Southern California teams later in the podcast, but to start with just the Ducks. I, I think it's safe to say that this has been a pretty exciting year so far. I mean, after the last two years missing out on the tournament, there was some frustrations, a lot of questions about Dane Altman and his future because he is getting up there in age. They're just kind of wondering how much longer he'd be around. 
what is it about this team that's been different from the past two years? Is it culture? Is it players? Is it facts that they're you know actually actually hitting their free throws this year? I mean, what is it that you see when you watch this team? Yeah, it's been, I, I mean, shout out to Dana Altman for being able to lead this team to such a, a strong record, undefeated in, in Pac-12 play, especially when you've dealt with the injuries to Nefali Dante, who, if you told me that Oregon would be in this position yeah. and Dante would have only played one game, I don't think there's any way that I would have believed you for that. I know Nate Biddle's had some injury stuff too. Uh, I think the freshman class has been very solid and they only just got Mookie Cook uh, back into the picture. He missed the, the first chunk of the season. Uh, Jackson Shellstad is, is kind of that Peyton Pritchard clone. I know it's an easy comparison to make both from Westland High School, both uh, top tier freshman point guards playing big roles right away, but it's it's hard to not ignore those uh, those comparisons, those similarities with him. And, and KJ Evans has been a little bit up and down, but I think the performance of those guys and then kind of mixing that with some veteran guys like Kuznard, who's, who's had a really successful season for them. Uh, it's it's just kind of a, a nice mix of things. Uh, we've seen some kind of oddities from this team. Like Syracuse is not a particularly good team and they absolutely blew them out. That was a, a surprise. Santa Clara hasn't been great uh, and they managed to get a win there. I know that that was kind of shortly after the injuries for Oregon. So perhaps still trying to make some adjustments, but uh, Dana seems to really have this team cooking. And I think, uh, some uh, an infusion of youth combined with the veterans has kind of really helped make this a, a more balanced team. And for them to have this level of success with injuries is, is bodes really well for what this team might look like when March rolls around. You mentioned Jackson Stelstad. Obviously, he is, I mean, being in Eugene, he's the talk of the town right now. If mm-hmm. anyone's going to talk about Oregon basketball, they're talking about Jackson Stelstad. Peyton Pritchard 2.0, as you brought up. I mean, he idolized Peyton Pritchard growing up. He wears number three because Peyton wore number three. He went to the same high school, broke a lot of his records. You're a basketball guy. So while we get wrapped up in, you know, the storylines and the excitement about it all, can you kind of put into words how special he's been so far as a freshman? I, I was looking up this stat before you came on. I mean, 10 straight games and double digit scoring that ties Dylan Brooks for the second most as a freshman dating back to 2002. So what is it about his game? You know, not the storylines that fans follow, but what do you see from an X and O's standpoint from him? Confidence is a huge part of it. Um, and I know that's a little bit more mental and not as much X's and O's, yeah. but he's certainly a very confident player. Uh, it kind of has that same mentality that that his idol Richard had of, hey, I'm not going to be a guy who is you know slow to develop and, and maybe finds my groove the middle of my sophomore year. Like he's hitting the ground running right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, outside of that, the shot is just beautiful. Uh, he's shooting 43.5% from three. Uh, he's a good looking shot from the free throw line. You mentioned that being a strength for the team in general. Uh, you get freshmen sometimes, even freshmen who are good in high school, sometimes struggle at the charity stripe. They certainly struggle from three for him to come in and and be able to knock down shots, knock down threes. He can knock them in off the dribble. He can knock them in standstill. Uh, he's a good distributor, good passer. I think that's an area of his game that there's still a little bit of growth that could be had there. His assist to turnover ratio is okay. It's not great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for a freshman, I think you don't expect anybody to be super elite there unless they are, uh, you know, a, a true like one and done top 10 type talent which while he looks like an NBA player, I don't know that he's quite at that one and done level. We're starting to see him pop up on mock drafts. But I think, again, the expectation is he's a guy who spends a couple of years at Oregon, uh, maybe even all four like like Pritchard did. But yeah, uh, he nice. just seemed – wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, that'd, that'd be, be awesome. great to have him around for, for a few more years. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, where he's at right now for his age is really phenomenal. And I think as he continues to kind of get 
a handle on on just the speed, the pace of college basketball. He's only going to get better, but uh, the 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 early returns are already fantastic with just his ability to to score in multiple different levels. The basketball IQ is really high, and I think again, uh, credit to Dana for for being willing. It took him a while to get there, but being willing to kind of just let him go and let him loose and let him play his style of basketball, which uh, has really been when we've seen Oregon kind of turn that corner so far this season. It feels like almost because of Shellstad that Kwame Evans is getting overlooked a little bit. I've actually mm-hmm. been, I mean, you've mentioned the up and down play a little bit. Yes, he's kind of dealing with that, some of those freshman flaws so mm-hmm. far, but I've been impressed by him, particularly the way that he has changed his game a little bit by necessity. I mean, Dana Allman's talked about this a lot. He came in, wanted to just kind of hang around the perimeter and be one of those stretch mm-hmm. four players. But because of Infali Dante and because of Nate Biddle going out, they needed him to go inside and kind of get stronger and get a lower base and, and get some of those rebounds. What have you seen from him kind of as this season has progressed that uh, is encouraging for you? Yeah, I think uh, you, you nailed it. I think a lot of it is guys who really want to be able to showcase the skills that they know are necessary in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And for Evans, that is the case. Like he needs to be able to prove that he can be a stretch for that he can play that position in the NBA. And and, and, and I mean, in any position in the NBA right now, you have to be able to shoot threes. Even if you're you know seven foot three, <laughs> you got to be able to shoot threes if you want to get drafted in the NBA. I mean, Zach Eadie's still being mocked in the late second round, despite being a you know likely two time National Player of the Year. It's just the way that that game has evolved. And and so for coaches, I think there is a bit of a struggle of trying to figure out, I want to be able to get players who can go to the NBA because it helps me with recruiting. It helps me land better players. But also you have to figure out how to make sure that they're doing what you need to do to win basketball games because Dane Allman's going to keep his job based on how many games he wins, not how many guys he puts in the NBA. And he knows that. And so I think being able to get Evans to make that adjustment because he hasn't been a very good three-point shooter. I think that he's a better three-point shooter than the numbers indicate. And I think that as the season goes on, perhaps that will tick back up if he ends up coming back to school uh, and improves over the offseason. I think he becomes a better three-point shooter, but that's not what Oregon needs him to do. And getting him to buy in and be more of a physical threat down low again, that that may not help him become an NBA player. That may not be the skill that that scouts are looking for from him, but it's going to help Oregon win basketball games. Mm-hmm. And getting him to buy into that is incredibly valuable and something that that Oregon's going to need to do because they do land a lot of five star talent. They do land a lot of players who who have aspirations of being quick to the NBA, whether it's one and dones or two and dones, and and being able to land those players is incredibly valuable and and. Have Having that NIL money that they do, I mean, they're going to be able to continue to do that. But it doesn't matter if you can't get those guys to buy into your system, if you can't get those guys to help you win basketball games. And Evans is a great example of a player who is making that adjustment of, hey, this is what the team needs from me right now. And it'll help him with scouts as well. Like he may feel like, well, you know, the threes is what's going to get me in the NBA, but but scouts are going to see him adjusting his role. They're going to see him being willing to help do whatever the team needs to win games. And that's going to matter. That's going to matter a lot. And so I think that that is helping him in ways that I hope he understands. I know it's sometimes hard for teenagers to to grasp stuff like that, but I think that's going to help him. And then again, kind of comparing with Shellstad, who is much more of the team oriented grinder type guy. I think that that may be rubbing off on Evans a little bit as well. And is part of the reason that you're seeing the synergy with that freshman class. And, and again, a shout out to Dana for getting getting the pieces uh, lined up in a way that's going to help this team continue to be successful. So ultimately, do you think Kwame comes back for another year? Do we think we see him? I mean, it, I don't know how I haven't looked at the mocks as much as you have. I don't know. I know he, before he's been maybe late round or second round. But um, what do you think his future is? Do you think he comes back to Eugene for next year? 
I think he's probably going to come back. I think he might test it out. Uh, I, I would encourage basically anybody who has NBA aspirations to, to check it out. Uh, the only re- the only reason you wouldn't with a freshman is because they can only do it three times. Mm-hmm. So you don't want him to do that and then potentially jeopardize his future later on. But Evans is probably not going to be at Gonzaga or at Gonzaga at Oregon for more than three years. So yeah. I would check out the NBA draft, see what the scouts say. If he pops really well uh, in front of scouts, maybe he ends up leaving after a year. But right now. We're not seeing him on a lot of mocks, and I don't think that that's going to change unless his role dramatically uh, gets altered or he starts having a bunch of 20-point outbursts. There's still plenty of time for the drafts to change, and this is not a particularly strong draft class, and I do think that could potentially help him. But ultimately, without the outside shot, with the way his role has has matured for Oregon, I don't see it as an NBA kind of aspiration right away. But uh, again, I think it might help him down the line to come back for at least another year and potentially expand his role and, and then be an NBA player after that. He's just someone, I mean, from my uneducated, I say uneducated, I know a little bit what I'm talking about, but not as much as you do. He's <laughs> someone, he just, he looks like he needs to grow a little bit. He looks too mm-hmm. young for for the NBA so far. I was watching a game the other night with my wife and she was like, oh, who's that guy? I was like, oh, it's a five-star freshman. He might be one and done. He might be two. And it's just like, he looks way too young to be in the NBA yeah. next year. Like, he looks like a baby out there. So, I don't know. I, I mean, I speak, I think, for all Oregon fans and saying we would love to have him back next year because mm-hmm. it's been a lot of fun to watch him. But um, speaking of, we were talking to da- about Dante and Biddle earlier. Once they return in Dante's case, and if he returns in Biddle's case, I know there's been mm-hmm. some good news on that front. We'll see if he comes back. What do you think the ceiling is for this team? I know that there's been some talk. I've heard some talk from some people and and fans that are saying there's almost a worry that they may have too many guys if they come back because Dana is someone who's really good at playing rotation of, you know, seven, eight, nine guys. If you get those two back, you've got nine, 10, 11 guys that are playable and Mm -hmm. we'll kind of expect that they should be playing. So um, ultimately I trust Dana to, you know, be able to figure that out and and get the guys on the floor that need to be. But what do you think their ultimate ceiling is if at least Dante returns and if maybe Biddle returns as well? Yeah, certainly. I think a lot of it's going to depend on on not only Dante returning, but whether he can be the guy that we know he's capable of being, you know, an all Pac-12 first team caliber player, a guy who averages 15, 16 a game, uh, gets double doubles on the regular. Like the Pac-12, as as weak as it's been this year in a lot of ways outside of, of course, Arizona, they have a lot of really talented bigs. Mm-hmm. You got Umar Bala at Arizona, Brandon Carlson at Utah, Adem Bona at UCLA, like just to name a few. And I think having Dante back, a big physical threat down low, really, really changes the ceiling for the Ducks. But with with him, even without him at this point, I mean, they're undefeated in Pac-12 play. The only other team that can say that is Arizona State, which is a bit of a surprise. And mm-hmm. I think Oregon's ceiling is absolutely second in the Pac-12. And, and I think that they're almost the front runner at this point, especially if you do expect Dante back, you do expect him back at Full strength. I mean, there is there's not another team in this conference outside of Arizona that I think you can definitively say is is better than Oregon right now. I think Colorado was in that conversation, but they got beat by 50 points mm-hmm. against Arizona. They they're dealing with some injuries of their own, and when they're fully healthy, that might be a different story. But they're they may not be fully healthy for about a month or so. Their star freshman Cody Williams is out for a while, so I think that hurts them. Utah, I never really was a 
big believer in Utah. They got some top 25 love a few weeks ago, but then they lost a couple of games and now they're kind of outside that conversation. And, and, you know, again, USC and UCLA are just not in the mix right now at all, quite Mm -hmm. frankly. So for me, I think Oregon is probably my pick right now to be the second best team in the Pac-12. And if they get Dante back, it almost solidifies it. Certainly they, they got to prove it. There's, there's plenty of teams that can beat you in this conference. And uh, Oregon has a lot of youth, which can certainly create some games where you just mysteriously don't show up. And I, Mm -hmm. I'm, that's going to happen. Oregon's going to have a a game that they lose that everybody's like, why the heck did Oregon lose that game? It's just, (laughs) it's something that happens in the back 12 every single year. And I don't think that Oregon's going to be impervious to it. I mean, Arizona wasn't, but I I do think that ultimately this is a team that shouldn't finish lower than fourth, maybe fifth, but that would be, I think fifth would be a disappointing season Mm -hmm. the way they've looked so far. And I think second is, is entirely realistic. So last I saw from Bracketology on ESPN, it was, I think, a few days ago when it was updated on the 5th, Oregon was kind of hovering around a 12 seed. A few days before mm-hmm. that, they weren't even projected to get in. They were one of the, I think, the last teams out. Mm-hmm. I know that, you know, like, like we've said, the Pac-12 is not as elite as it always has mm-hmm. been this year. But if you are the second best team in the Pac-12, mm-hmm. if you are even the third best team in the Pac-12, that feels like you should get into the tournament, No. Yes, absolutely. And I, and I think, honestly, this Oregon team should probably be in consideration if they finish second. Okay. Right now, I understand why they're in that like 11, 12, you know, bubble-ish conversation right now, because they should be right now. But mm-hmm. if they finish second, if they don't drop any really bad games in conference play, maybe they get swept by Arizona, maybe they drop two other games, something like that. They should be in the conversation for maybe as high as a six seed, at least somewhere in that seven to 10 range, which is not a particularly fun place to be in the sense that you got a really tough second round matchup. But I, I, I think Oregon should be in that conversation. I think if they continue to win and, and finish second or finish third, they will be in that conversation. I think they'll, unless they finish below fifth or below fourth, they will absolutely be in the field. I, I, there's no way the Pac-12 is not going to put at least three or four teams mm-hmm. in the big dance, even in what it, what is looking like a down year for the conference. But I would like to see Oregon maybe be able to get into that six. Six would be great. Seven, eight, nine would be okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to face one seed in the second round, which mm-hmm. isn't as fun. But uh, they, they feel like a team that that has the ability to be in that conversation, provided they don't you know drop uh, drop games to Cal or Stanford or or Oregon State or anything like that going forward. So last year at the end of the season, Dane Altman kind of went off a little bit, calling out the fans, mm-hmm. telling the school that you know they should fire him if this is the way things are going. And, yeah. you know, kind of went on that weird route, uh, weird, weird rant after the NIT loss to Wisconsin. I thought it was crazy at the time. I know I am absolutely not alone in thinking it was a little, a little interesting at the time. It's still one of the weirdest press conferences I've ever been at. Um, is it safe to say now that it worked? Like fan engagement yeah. has been great this year. Uh, obviously the product on the floor is looking really good. I, I, we called him crazy at the time and said he might be some crazy old man who was saying he's going to go coach Juco ball, but I think it might've worked. What do you think? Yeah, it certainly seems like it's been better. I, I haven't been to a ton of games at Matt Knight, but the ones that I've been to were not super well attended and it was pretty quiet. And uh, it was a little surprising to see a program that, that, you know, has a lot of, uh, has had a lot of success that has a good coach in Dana Altman that has NBA caliber players that didn't have a, a ton of uh, fans in the building. And, and now, you know, watching the games on TV, you can see like there is more engagement, there is more interest. And certainly I think that 
maybe Altman's conversation did have an impact on that, or maybe something happened where when he said that the the administration made some cho- choices to to market things better and potentially try to uh, encourage more students to go to the games. I don't know. I, I'm not you know affiliated with that, but I wouldn't be surprised if they made a bigger push to try to get people in the building because it hurts recruiting. If recruits come to your games and they don't see anybody, you know, cheering on your team, that's going to make them less likely to go there, especially, you know, student uh, high school kids getting recruited by Oregon. They're getting recruited by other programs that if they're, you know, selling out their home arena and they're chanting the, the high school kid's name at the games, like they're more likely to go there. So for Dana, I think he was feeling like this is making it harder for me to get, uh, kids, this is making it harder for me to win basketball games. Like this is affecting my livelihood, and that's why he kind of uh, lashed out, for lack of a better term. And, no, and that's right. uh, it does seem to have worked. And and uh, it's kind of a chicken egg too, though, because uh, he got three really high profile mm-hmm. freshmen, and he got a freshman, a local kid, which I'm sure helps mm-hmm. uh, with the fan base. And I think that being able to to bring in high level talent and make the product more exciting, it's also better. But even if it wasn't better, this team is more exciting than the last two years have been. And I think that might help generate fan engagement. So it's a little bit of a chicken and an egg thing, but I definitely think uh, Dana's speech seems to have done something to help get some more fans in the arena, which is good news for Oregon going forward. Yeah, I think that last thing you said is exactly it. I mean, while it's, I'm sure some things probably might have changed behind behind closed doors, there's just, I mean, they kind of struck gold with this incoming mm-hmm. recruiting class. And I mean, you just the buzz about Oregon basketball right now is unlike it's been in several years. I mean, I, before this year, rarely ever had conversations with my friends about Oregon basketball. Mm-hmm. And especially, I mean, if those conversations were going to come, they were going to be in March or February and like, Oh, yeah. why are they not on the tournament? And they're not going to, they're not coming in December with guys texting mm-hmm. you like, Oh, who is the Shellstad kid? Oh, who mm-hmm. is KJ Evans? What this team's actually mm-hmm. really fun. What's well, printed Rigsby's deal. So, I think it's a little bit of that where you've they've the fans have really start to buy in and they've seen how fun this team can be. And there's that hope, like we said before, that, you know, this isn't Kalel Ware where you think he's going to be gone after you've got, you know, Jackson Shellstad, you've got Mookie Cook, you've got Kwame Evans, all of whom are expected to be NBA talent and not really expected to leave after this year. I know there's a chance, like we said, but they should be back next year. So mm-hmm. um, it's been really fun to kind of watch the start of something that feels pretty special build. Um, let's quickly talk about the Pac-12 before we get out of here. Obviously, we've we've alluded to it a lot. USC and US and UCLA are the two biggest surprises. They were picked to finish second and third in the preseason media poll. Um, so far, USC is fourth in the conference at eight and seven overall. UCLA is eleventh at six and nine. Starting with the Trojans, what has gone wrong for them so far? Yeah, it's really interesting with USC because there, it's hard to point to one thing in particular. Obviously, they did not have Bronny James until very recently, uh, you know, Lebr- son of LeBron James, very uh, well-known figure before he even stepped foot on college campus. And he had the cardiac arrest in July and missed the first start of the season. But he wasn't expected to be a huge contributor, and he hasn't really been up to this point. He's doing fine, but they haven't won. They weren't winning without him, and they're not really winning with him either. So I don't think that that's made a big difference. I think the big story is Isaiah Collier, the star freshman, number one recruit in the class of 2023. Uh, He's shown at flashes. He's looked exactly like that guy. 
Uh, but at times he, he's really turnover prone, like o- over four a game was over five a game for the first month or so of the season. I think that's really hurt them. They're a bad rebounding team. They don't have a lot of size up front. So they're getting out rebounded by teams that shouldn't be out rebounding them. They're turning the ball over at a really high rate. And I think coach Andy Enfield just hasn't quite figured out what to do with the pieces that they have. Uh, Boogie Ellis is a really phenomenal player. He's averaging over 20 per game, a, a legit candidate to be Pac-12 player of the the year, but him and Isaiah Collier are both kind of ball dominant guards. And so one of them is playing off the ball constantly. And now you try to figure out what to do with Bronny James, who's also a ball dominant yeah. guard. And I just don't think the roster construction is all that good. And it's it's hurting them uh, in the sense that they're not, again, they're turning the ball over a lot there. There's not a lot of cohesion offensively. Uh, we see Collier defer to Boogie Ellis quite a bit, which is understandable, but Collier is probably the more talented individual scorer so and then defensively they're they're not good at defending the perimeter teams are shooting the ball over them pretty easily so I think this is a team that has more more likely chance of figuring it out now that they kind of have all their pieces together Uh, and they're still not going to be a a, they're not going to be great I don't think they're going to ascend all the way up to second necessarily but Mm -hmm. I think they have enough talent to potentially put together a nice winning streak and put themselves back into the NCAA tournament at large conversation but uh, considering they were ranked in the top 20 to start the yeah. season and had serious aspirations of challenging Arizona at the top, uh, they, there's a very little chance that they're, that this season's not going to end in a pretty big disappointment for them. It's been really, I guess, entertaining is the word to, to watch this. I mean, we know Matt Zimmick at Trojan's Wire. We, we've both mm-hmm. worked with him before. After the debacle that was their football season and everything that went on with that and the questions about, you know, defensive coordinator and then then maybe Lincoln Riley even leaving, they quickly turned the page to basketball season and they were all in and they, I mean, understandably so, like you said, they were preseason top 20 team. They had Mm -hmm. the number one recruit in the nation. Um, And now there, there's been a lot of posts that I've seen kind of calling for Andy Enfield's head Mm -hmm. and seeing if, I mean, I don't know if he's going to be the coach next year. So um, do you think this season could end in him being fired? I would be a little surprised, but at the same time, like when you have this much aspiration, this much expectation, when you have a player like Collier on the roster, like I don't think it's Andy Enfield's fault that he's turning the ball over as much as he is. But again, he hasn't, he hasn't found the recipe Mm -hmm. and that's part of your job as a coach. Like he knew that he had these two guards who who have similar kind of skill sets. He knew Bronny was going to come through the mix later. He knew that the depth in the front court wasn't great and, and they still haven't found ways to, to kind of, fix those issues and still win basketball games despite them. Uh, If the season continues to go poorly, I do think that there's at least a conversation to be had. Uh, We've seen a lot of Pac-12 schools be really hesitant Mm -hmm. to fire coaches. Uh, UW held on to Mike Hopkins a little longer than I thought they would. Granted, they've had a good year this year. Uh, Stanford had a great opportunity to hire a former alum in Mark Madsen and chose to continue with Jared Haas while Mark Madsen got hired at Cal. So uh, if the trend continues, I think that USC is probably going to hold on to Enfield for maybe a few years longer than they need to. Uh, but it's been a, uh, it's been a tough season for them. And I think Enfield does deserve some of the blame for what's been happening. So what about UCLA? Obviously they've lost a lot of talent this past year, last yeah. couple of years, they lost Hawkes, they lost Tyler, Tiger Campbell. What's mm-hmm. kind of, what's been the story with them? Why are they doing so poorly this year? Well, if you listen to Mick Cronin's press conferences, uh, he's got about 40 different excuses and not a single <laughs> one of them starts with him. Um, 
<laughs> of course not. Yeah. So Cronin's, uh, he, he blamed the NIL collective, which just, I have a hard time believing that that's more than just a small part yeah. of the issue. And certainly if, if UCLA is struggling to land uh, recruits in the transfer portal, that is because of money. That is something that they probably need to figure out how to fix because UCLA is a really proud basketball program. But uh, Cronin, he, he went to the international route for a lot of the players they brought in. And, and some of those guys just, they don't adjust quite as quickly as, as maybe he expected them to, or as the fans may have expected them to do. And that combined with a really young backcourt, combined with really a, a young team in general, like you said, no Hawkeyes, no Tiger Campbell, no uh, Devin Singleton. No, I mean, they're, they're just, they lost so much of their talent, Jalen Clark out the door. And, and I think you're seeing a team that doesn't have, they're not really playing for each other. They're not really, they, they don't have any cohesion, any camaraderie, and uh, their offense is just, I mean, it's putrid. It's one yeah. of the worst offenses, not just among like power six teams, but it's one of the worst offenses in college basketball. They cannot score uh, to save their lives. And uh, again, Cronin is is really got a quick trigger pulling guys out of the game as soon as they make a mistake. Uh, he's trashing guys in post-game press conferences by name, which is a very odd wow. thing to do. That's crazy. I'm surprised that his players are still kind of playing for him, and, uh-huh. and we'll see if, if he he loses the locker room at any point and, and there's no super strong indication that he has but you know if you're Sebastian Mack and you make a mistake in a game and Mick Cronin that becomes headlines uh, in LA newspapers and he's calling you out by name like I, I just feel like it's hard to continue to play for uh, in that environment and, and mm-hmm. I don't know if this is a, a Mick Cronin is uh, you know aging out of coaching this generation of players type of thing I think that's maybe too extreme but it does feel like he's he does not he's not meshing very well with the guys that are on this roster and he's complaining that he didn't get enough opportunity to add talented players and he's like oh I didn't wasn't able to add anybody good in the transfer portal and I'm like what if you're Lazar Stefanovic who he added the transfer portal like how does that make you feel Mm -hmm. so it's been a really intriguing it's kind of fascinating to follow just the the implosion of this program that you know was uh, Julian Strauss their three-pointer away from going to the Elite Eight last year mm-hmm. and has been to the Final Four in the last couple of years. Like, this team has had a ton of success, and I think he's going to get more of a leash because of that recent success, because he was successful prior to his time at UCLA, and, and he's always been kind of a curmudgeonly guy, and I don't think that that's, you know, they're, they're probably not going to hold that against him too much, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if this roster, which is already young and inexperienced, looks a lot different next year, because I'm not sure how many of these guys are going to yeah. want to stick around after this. Is it safe to say that Colorado and Utah have been the most pleasant surprises so far in the Pac-12? I know we mentioned Arizona State earlier, but those mm-hmm. Colorado and Utah have been, you know, I don't think a lot of people saw them being this good so far. And I know you said they're they're struggling with injuries a little bit, but what have yeah. you seen from them so far that's kind of surprised you? Yeah, Utah, I think, is a bit more surprising than Colorado. Colorado's better, but I think that they had decent expectations. They brought in uh, Cody Williams, the top 10 prospect in the class, younger brother of Jalen Williams, who's having a ton of success uh, in the NBA with Oklahoma City. And and so I think there was decent expectation for Colorado, and I think they've kind of met and slightly exceeded those expectations. The last week has been rough for them, but they lost uh, two key players. Tristan De Silva's out with an injury, and mm-hmm. Williams is out with an injury as well. Utah has been has been good. And Brandon Carlson was kind of a preseason Pac-12 player of the year candidate. And he has looked like that guy for this team so far. He's a phenomenal player, uh, skinny seven footer who can space the floor, uh, matchup nightmare for guys you know like Dante and Balo. They're, they're going to have a hard time defending him. And I think that makes this Utah team particularly dangerous. They're probably my biggest surprise team alongside Oregon uh, in, in terms of positive surprise. UCLA is the biggest mm-hmm. surprise uh, going 
in the other direction, certainly. But uh, Utah, I'm not sure if they really have the horses to to keep this up. They had a solid non-conference season. They got some nice wins in conference play, but then they they struggled with with some of the better teams. And I think that there's a chance that they kind of fall back towards the middle of the conference. But it's been a really strong start from them, and they have the kind of talent on the roster to certainly pick off some good teams in this in this conference. So not this weekend, but next weekend, Oregon makes that mountain road trip. They go to play the Buffs. They go to play Utah. It kind of feels like we're going to learn a lot about, you know, the top and middle of the Pac-12 during that weekend, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Oregon right now, 3-0 and in conference play. If they are if they stay undefeated through that series, that, that says a lot about this Oregon team. I think that's a good indication, especially uh, without Dante. If they're in that position where he's still not back or he's still not at 100% and they're still winning, winning games against good teams in this conference, I mean, I think that really shows that this team is has ascended above that kind of grouping of teams. And at that point, there's not any other grouping. It's mm-hmm. just Arizona. So I think you, you'd be looking at an Arizona gap, Oregon gap, and then some mix of Colorado, Utah, maybe Arizona State gets mm-hmm. tossed in there, Washington maybe tossed mm-hmm. in there. They've been a bit inconsistent throughout the year as well. And, and I think Oregon has not quite separated themselves yet just because we need to see them play each other and kind of see what that looks like. But I think that they are still the, the second best team right now, but that's a really good opportunity for them to to go play in, in hostile road environments. Mm-hmm. Nobody likes going and playing at Utah and Colorado. Mm-hmm. The, the air is different. The trip is challenging. Like it's never fun to go play those teams. And if you go out there and you win some basketball games, even if you're playing a Colorado team that's banged up, even if you're playing uh, Utah's, I think, healthy right now, but even if you're playing a Utah team that struggled the last week, like those are monumental wins. I think even if Oregon splits, mm-hmm. they're still going to be in a position where they probably look like the second best team in the conference. But mm-hmm. like you said, regardless of how these games go, we're going to learn a lot about Dana Altman and the Ducks uh, after that trip. Yeah. And as you said, I mean, it is a split. I think any Oregon fan would take right now, because it is very, very hard to win on the road and those, those mountain road trips. Andy, we're going to wrap it up there. You have been incredible as always. Thank you so much for coming on. Why don't you tell everyone where they can find you? I know we mentioned at the top, but um, tell them where to find you. Yeah, a host of Locked on Zags and Locked on College Basketball Podcast. You can find both those shows. Wherever you get podcasts, you can also find them both on YouTube. Uh, I am still on Twitter slash X at Andy Patton CBB. You can find me there and give me a follow to see posts about college basketball as well. And how is the writing with College Sports Wire going? I know we yeah, it's been great. had you at Ducks Wire. We lost you. And then you came back to the USA Today Network. So I know we're all happy about that. Yeah, yeah, I've been having a lot of fun there. Just wrote up my top 25 for this week uh, over there. I know that as we're transitioning out of college football as the season wraps up, I'm going to do a lot more basketball coverage at College Sports Wire. So you can find that again, just collegesportswire.usatoday.com. Tons of couple articles every single day about college basketball. We've written a lot about UCLA and Mick Cronin and what's going on over there. Certainly we'll have some coverage uh, on the Pac-12 uh, going forward as well. Awesome. Well, we, we know where to find you and we'll, we'll look forward to uh, continuing through the spring as we go towards March. Thank you again, Andy. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, Zach. All right. That's going to do it for us today. Um, I will be back on next week. Uh, it'll probably be a little bit of a mix of basketball and football, honestly, as we go forward throughout the rest of the basketball season with a little bit more of a lean on basketball and kind of what Dana Altman and that group are doing. Um, but, you know, that's, it should be fun. We'll we'll see the further, you know, movement in the transfer portal and kind of all of that as we go towards spring football. Um, and then we've also got the early signing day. 
uh, sorry, not the early signing day, the late signing day coming in early February, where Oregon is hopefully going to land one more player and four-star wide receiver Gatlin Bear. Um, so we will talk about that next week and get kind of further into that. Thank you guys for listening and following along. If you want to check out more of my work, you can find it all at duckswire.usatoday.com. Follow me at Zachary C. Neal on Twitter. I'll talk to you guys next week. Until then, take it easy. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.